Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Well, we are, uh, we are in a series at the moment. For those that don't know, we're in a series. Uh, it's called Progressive Overload. And uh, what we're doing is we are looking at and studying uh, and examining uh, the vision statements of our church uh, that we declare. They're in on the website. They're on uh, various uh, leaflets and stuff around the place. And these are the values of the vision of the church that we see that we believe that God is showing us and uh, so we're working through those as 10 of them and uh, this week we're looking at the statement uh, that we hold to that says we see a church of Bible believers. We see a church of Bible believers uh, reading the words written by God and so this morning we're going to look into uh, that statement and we're going to examine it because I like to do this. I like to make sure that everything we're doing, everything that's preached from this platform is of God uh, and originally originates from God, is grounded in the Bible, Uh, and uh, it's not just stuff that we've just made up, uh, you know, because anything that's from from us as as humans, uh, you know, is is not worth an awful lot, but anything that's from the Lord uh, is valuable, hey? Uh, So I want to make sure uh, that uh, that this this vision that we are proclaiming uh, is good, is good. So I'm going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, it's going to be on the screen as well. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll look into that and we'll study uh, what's going on. Is that all right? Does that sound good? You happy with that this morning? Good, because that was my plan and it's not going to change. Let's begin. I'll open my Bible, actually. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is our scripture for this morning, and we're going we're gonna to look into that. We're going to uh, investigate that uh, as we go. Uh, but first of all, um, this week, this week for me, it's been, a, it's been a good week, right? It's been a good week. Anyone had a good week this week? 
Some of us have had a good week. Some of us have had not such a good week. Some of us have had perhaps an indifferent week. Uh, regardless of, uh, of, of how your week has gone, I want to tell you a bit about mine. Uh, so uh, last, last Sunday after church, uh, I started to put together some drawers, right? Some drawers that I purchased from Ikea. Anyone done Ikea? Flat pack? Yeah? Do we like it? Yeah, it's easy. It's good stuff. Uh, I bought three sets of drawers, three identical sets of drawers uh, from Ikea for my new office setup that I've got. It's very exciting. And, uh, and so I got them out after church on Sunday, started putting them together. So I uh, took everything out of the box, discarded the instructions because who, ne- who knows? We don't need instructions. Yeah, so uh, so I started putting these drawers together, very good, and, uh, and and I realized as I was examining the pieces and sort of trying to see what fits, I realized that actually uh, the drawers were not making themselves particularly clear on how they wanted assembly. And so, uh, in a bit of a blow to my pride, I had to retrieve the instructions that I put in the bin and, uh, and go through the instructions to assemble the drawers. And uh, IKEA make it really easy, don't they? Yeah, it's all step by step. There's pictures, you can get out of swords, no problem. And uh, so eventually I'd had these drawers put together. Brilliant stuff, very proud of my work. Uh, and, uh, and then I moved on to the second set of drawers, because I said, didn't I? I bought three. Moved on to the second set of drawers, and by the time I was doing that, I realized that I didn't need the instructions. It was amazing. Uh, I was able just to recognize the pieces and, and remember from what I'd previously done not so long ago, and remembered how to put the drawers together. Fantastic. Fantastic. It was a bit slow. It was a bit slow because, you know, still, uh, still getting familiar with everything. But by the third set of drawers, by the time I came to put the third set of drawers together, uh, I flew through it. No instructions, no nothing. I uh, just flew straight through that, knew what everything did, knew where everything went. I was an expert at drawers uh, by the third set. And, uh, and it, it got me thinking uh, about these drawers and the instructions and, and the process. It got me thinking uh, because I was thinking about this message uh, as well for this Sunday. I was thinking, these instructions that I've, that I've followed, they're amazing, aren't they? They're, they're quite a lot like the Bible. They're quite a lot like the Bible. The, the instructions taught me how to put together the drawers, and, uh, and the Bible uh, is kind of like uh, instructions, isn't it, on life? Yeah? And, and I thought that was good. I thought that was good until I realized, until I realized that that just isn't true. That just isn't true at all, and it ruined my analogy because I thought I was going to, I was going to say that on Sunday, uh, and it, and it ruined it when I realised that actually the Bible is not an instruction book for life. That's not what the Bible is, and uh, and so. But here's the thing: the, the analogy is rescued. Are you ready? So the instructions, what they were able to do, was to get me familiar with the subject of the instructions, weren't they? The instruction book were able to get me familiar with the drawers and I was able to, uh, to get to know them and understand them, understand how they worked, understand uh, everything about them. And, uh, and, and in a similar way, the Bible. The Bible is a book uh, that is uh, getting us familiar with the subject of the book, isn't it? Yeah? Do we, do we know that? Do we think that this morning? The Bible is a book that's, that's there, is here, is given to us so that we may get familiar with the subject of the book. The subject of the book is God. The subject of the book is God. And, uh, and, and that's the purpose of the Bible, is to help us to get familiar, to get to know God. And so that's what we're going to be uh, looking at this morning. And, uh, and the message, the title of the message this morning is this, uh, How Can I Live Well? 
How can I live well? And, uh, and you might think that that's a little bit contradictory because I've just said that the Bible is not instructions on how to live life well. Uh, and also the title of the message is, how do we live well? What are you going to say, Dom? How are you going to make that work? Well, just you wait. Are we good this morning? Are we good? We're feeling a bit decaf. Uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and give them a high five and say, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Yeah? So good. And then turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I'm so glad. I'm more glad that you're here this morning. If you sat on a row on your own, I'm sorry about that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. So we're going to look at the Bible this morning, and it's really exciting because I love the Bible. I love talking about the Bible, of preaching for the Bible, and uh, so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to do that by asking three questions. Uh, the first question is this, what is the Bible? Good start, don't you think? Second question is this, uh, why, uh, why should I read the Bible? And then the third question is, how do I read the Bible? These are the three questions we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to start then with what is the Bible? The Bible, the word Bible means book, right? So it's a book, the Holy Bible, the Holy Book. And uh, this book is a, it's actually a library. It's a library of 66 individual books. And uh, what they've done is they've compiled it together into one handy form factor. How's that? Uh, and, uh, and so it's made up of 66 books. 39 books are found in what we call the Old Testament. And 27 books are found in what we call the New Testament. And uh, the Testaments are divided by the writings that that took place before the birth of Jesus and the writings that took place after the birth of Jesus. The Bible was written by over 40 different human authors, 40 different people uh, writing uh, towards the Bible and it was written over a period of 1,500 years. Wow, that's a long time, isn't it? That's a, that's a long time. And, uh, and, and as I've said uh, already this morning, the Bible is not a self-help book, though it does help us, doesn't it? The Bible is not a uh, Leadership 101 book, uh, though it does teach leadership. And the Bible is not a guide for this world, though it does help us to navigate this world, uh, as the Bible says itself, uh, that it is, uh, it is a lamp to our feet. Uh, Liv, uh, Liv mentioned that last week. Uh, it's a lamp to our feet. So if that's what it's not, then what is it? What is it? The Bible is our greatest form, are you ready for this, of what we call special revelation. Special revelation. A uh, special revelation is a term that theologians, scholars use to describe uh, what is revealed to us in a, in a specific way of God. Right, so there are two categories of revelation. Who's learning something this morning? Yeah? There are two categories of revelation. The first is general revelation. General revelation, right? And general revelation, this means the, uh, our environment, right? Everything that we see, nature, beauty, uh, outside, uh, we just look at creation and there is evidence in its very existence that there is a creator. Uh, very few uh, people can really uh, formulate an argument against that. It's very hard because it's not true, uh, but, uh, but it's very hard to look out, examine the world and say, no, nah, this is an accident. And, uh, and so nature, creation is uh, um, general revelation. 
special revelation is specific revelation about God, uh, specifically about uh, God, about Jesus. The Bible is our greatest form of special revelation. There are other forms as well when the Lord speaks to us individually, uh, when he gives us words of prophecy, words of wisdom, uh, all those kind of things, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, uh, but the Bible is our special revelation, a revelation of God to his creation. Wow. It's a story of God chasing after humanity. It's a cohesive pointer to salvation through Jesus, which is cool, isn't it? Yeah? Now, this is, uh, this is what I've said about the Bible. And, and you might just be thinking, well, Don, that's what you say. That's what you say. But what does, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the Bible? What does the Bible claim to be? Good question. Good question. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 to 17, we read this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible claims that it is God-breathed. God-breathed. The word in Greek is theopnestos. Say theopnestos. Theopnestos. It means to be breathed. It means a, a, a wind, a spirit uh, that comes from uh, God. The authority uh, that comes from the Bible comes from the fact uh, that God breathed it into being. And I think this is awesome, don't you? Let me draw you a parallel here. Uh, in, uh, in John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, John writes uh, about the, the, the existence of Jesus at creation. He writes uh, that the, uh, I've got it here, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, and the word for word is Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos, the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is a, a, a reference to Genesis, when God speaks creation into existence by the breath, uh, by what comes out of the mouth of God, creation uh, appears. And, uh, and so God uh, breathes creation into existence. And in the same way, God breathes out his scripture. This holy scripture uh, comes about in the same manner that all creation comes about. Jesus is Logos. Jesus is the Word. Uh, the two uh, are inseparable. And so it was said that the Bible's authority comes from its claim that it is breathed out by God, yeah? We get that so far? That's the claim of the Bible. That's the claim of the Bible. But what supports that claim? Have you ever thought about this? What supports that claim? Well, the Bible says that it's the Word of God, and so... It's the Word of God. And we believe it because it's the Word of God. It's a circular logic. And I struggled with this in, uh, in, uh, in my early days, uh, just as I was a, a, a exploring Christianity. And I was thinking, you can't, just, you, can't, you can't just have a book that says it's the Word of God, and we believe it just because it says it. That just doesn't make any sense. That's just circular, isn't it? Does, does anyone know what I'm saying? It's just circular logic. I could write on a piece of paper, this is the word of God, hand it to you. That's what it says. So what supports the claim that the Bible is the word of God? 
The answer is this. The answer is this, and it is the Bible's impossible conception were it not for a divine author. See, the Bible, as I've said, was written over a period of 1,500 years by authors from all different uh, places in society, leaders, rulers, shepherds, uh, tax collectors, doctors, all sorts of different people uh, coming, uh, coming. In fact, they weren't even coming together because they didn't know they were writing the Bible at the time. Uh, the, uh, the Bible was, was written, the words in the Bible was written by 40 different human authors over a period of 1,500 years. And they're all telling one cohesive story. They're all telling one cohesive story. That's incredible. To suggest that the Bible is not written by God. To suggest that the Bible is not orchestrated by one author. Working through the pens of 40 people over 1,500 years. I don't know how you, I don't know how you claim that. I don't know how you claim that. I've heard the claim, oh, the Bible is just it was written by politically motivated people. There's no political motivation that lasts 1,500 years across 40 different people from all scores of society, is there? The Bible was written by God, folks. That's a reality. That's a reality. Are we happy with that? Are we good there? Great. That's question one. Question two is this. Okay, that's fine. Why should I read the Bible? Why should I read the Bible? Because it might not be enough that this masterpiece was written by the creator of the universe. It might not be enough that the guiding principles for how life works both now and into eternity, more importantly, are uh, contained and laid out within this book. That might not be enough. There is a more important reason, church, uh, that, we, uh, that we should read the Bible, that we should be familiar with the scriptures. And it's so important, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. Is that all right? Great. So we're, uh, we're back in, uh, or starting, I suppose, where we, uh, where we were earlier in Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Now, in this scripture, and I've already read it, in this scripture, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he is tempted three times by the devil. Right? Three individual times uh, Jesus is, is tempted and he has a response every time. And I'd just like to break down uh, what happens for us here, uh, if that's all right. Uh, the first time we read this, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The enemy appeals to Jesus' hunger in a time where Jesus is fasting. That means uh, going without food in reverence and worship to God for a period of time. And the devil is appealing to Jesus' hunger and he wants to question Jesus' reliance on God. That's what the enemy uh, is doing in this place. And Jesus uses the word of God, uses his knowledge of the scripture to be able to defend himself from the temptation that the enemy throws his way. Which is awesome, isn't it? You think, well, that's great. That's, that's awesome. But what happens next? See, the plot thickens. The plot thickens. This is what happens next. The enemy says, that, uh, Satan says this, if you are the son of God, this is temptation number two, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Listen, for it is written. This is the enemy, the devil, saying it is written. This is what the scripture says. He will command his angels concerning you and they will uh, lift you up into their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
This is, this is a powerful truth, church. This is a powerful revelation that we need to be uh, aware of this morning. See, the enemy uh, appeals to Jesus' insecurity. To question Jesus' reliance on the protection of God. He says, throw yourself off a cliff. God will save you. Don't be fine. That's what, that's what he says in his word. In the, in, in the Old Testament scripture, that's what the devil is quoting. See, the enemy, you need to know this. The enemy knows the Bible. The enemy knows the scriptures. And he's tried to use the Bible, his knowledge of the Bible, he's tried to use that against Jesus. The enemy is portraying false righteousness, isn't he? False, uh, uh, false uh, interpretation of a scripture. Church, this is really, really key. And, uh, and, and, and I'd, like to, I'd like to just go with it a little bit deeper into this point if I can. Is that all right? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 says this. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He masquerades as goodness. He comes, uh, he seeks to uh, deceive. He will give the illusion of that which is good. He will give the illusion uh, of, of that which is scriptural. He will give the illusion of, uh, of these things in an attempt to deceive Deception is, uh, is, is the key here. That's the, that's the key word uh, that I want to draw us to. Because this can really trip us up if we're not careful, church. And so this message this morning is a, is a, is a, a warning. It's a warning. Is that all right? Is everyone okay with being warned? So um, I want to read this, this verse here, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. I know I'm a bit all over the place with the scriptures this morning, uh, but I want to I show us um, what's going on in, in Matthew 4 and the importance of it. 2 Peter chapter 2 says this, But there were also <clears throat> false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their depraved conduct. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Scary stuff. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Deception is the key here. Deception is the enemy's tactic to portray himself uh, and uh, masquerade as an angel of light, that which is good, uh, but really is, uh, is there to deceive. And this happens inside the church, sadly. And it happens outside the church as well. Every single thing must be uh, tested by a proper understanding of the scripture church. And you know what? Uh, I'm not immune from this. I'm not immune from this. Anytime you listen to me on a platform or anyone that preaches here, you need to test what we say by the Bible. That's the reality. Because I could get it wrong. I'm not, I'm not uh, infallible. I'm human. I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to deliberately deceive you. I can promise you that. But everything that I say, everything uh, that you hear from this church or any other, you need to test it by the Bible. You need to test it by the word of God. That's the authority. 
not me. Nothing I say. This book is the authority. Is that all right? <sighs> Told you it was a warning. Warning against myself. It's not good, is it? There'll be no one here next week. Oh, well, if, uh, if he's no good, then uh, we'll just stay at home and read the Bible ourselves. <clears throat> Jesus is tempted a third time. Jesus is tempted a third time. And, uh, and we read this. He takes Jesus up to a high place and shows him all of the world and says, All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So I see this, I see this, uh, this um, situation between Jesus and the enemy. And I imagine it in my mind as if Jesus is brandishing the word of God, right? And he's using it as a, as a, as a sword uh, to fight off the enemy because he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written. He's using the word of God uh, in, a, in an offensive uh, strategy at this point. He knows the word. And this is what it says. Worship the Lord your God only. See, the enemy appealed to Jesus' greed, didn't he? To question Jesus' identity even, because Jesus, Jesus is the creator of all things. It already belongs to him. It already, everything already belongs to him. And it certainly doesn't belong to the, to, the, to, the, to the devil. But having a proper understanding of the word of God is key. Because anyone that doesn't know that we are, um, that there is a war going on, might not be popular this bit, anyone who doesn't know that there is a war going on is ill-informed. See, and this war can look like many different things. And you might have experienced this war uh, in many different uh, ways. It can look like personal attack. Right, dark thoughts that come into your mind uh, when you're perhaps on your own at night uh, or whatever else it might be. Personal attack, the dark thoughts that are there. It could look like an attack of institutions that are ordained by God. Like marriage, like the family unit, uh, like, like these ideas. It could look like this current culture war that everyone's getting upset about at the moment. Or, or whatever else it is, these are, these are not the war. But these are battles fought as part of the war. Is that all right? Not sure. See, the war is for your soul. The war is for your life. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle, listen, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against their distractions. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle that's being fought, the war that's raging, is a battle of the spiritual nature. It's heavy this morning, isn't it? Yeah? We're happy with a heavy sermon? This happens every time I step on this platform. Seems to be, isn't it? Jesus had one mission on earth when he came down, didn't he? To come down to bear the wrath of God on the cross, to, uh, to take the sin uh, of all the world for the salvation of all the world. And the enemy's primary uh, goal was to, uh, was to stop that from happening. That's why he came, he tempted Jesus. Can you imagine what would have happened if the enemy had been successful in tempting Jesus uh, in the wilderness? And the entire mission that Jesus came for uh, would have fallen apart, and that would have been really, really bad. But that is the enemy's intent. 
intention. The enemy's intention is to, uh, is to prevent the worship of God. It is to prevent us spending an eternity with God. It is to prevent uh, our salvation uh, with God. And, uh, and if Jesus had been taken off track, that would have been really bad. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, whilst the enemy is absolute, was absolutely desperate for Jesus to fail, the enemy is also absolutely desperate to steer us off track as well. Absolutely desperate to steer us off track and away from the mission that, that God put us here for. There's a war going on, church. It's cheery for a Sunday morning. It's true, though. Sorry. And uh, for that reason, we need to arm up. I like this bit. We need to arm up, church. What does that look like? Anyone know what that looks like? Armor of God. There's some, there's some righteous people in the place this morning. It's good stuff. It is. The armor of God. So uh, it's still in Ephesians 6, where I just read from. Uh, we read this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces. That's the enemy here. Uh, and of the evil uh, in the heavenly realms. Forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, uh, and Paul writes this in Ephesians. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after having done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Listen, we're going to list these. You ready? Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Belt of truth goes around your waist, doesn't it? It's right at the core of uh, who you are. Truth is at the core of who we are. It stays there. It keeps everything else in place. That's what the belt does. It also keeps your trousers up. But that's uh, it's a different, uh, different kind of belt. We're talking about belt in terms of armor. And, uh, and so uh, it's at the core of who we are, keeps everything in, pr- in place. Uh, Bell truth, buckled around the waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Where does the breastplate go? It goes here, doesn't it? Over the chest, protecting the heart. That's, that's what the breastplate of righteousness does. Hit by his righteousness, we are protected, uh, the Bible says. And, uh, and so uh, we then move on uh, with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're prepared with the feet of the gospel to go to declare the good news, the very good news that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus set us free, that we can spend an eternity with God because of the sacrifice made on the cross. This is the best news anyone will ever hear in their entire lives, and we are sent to go and proclaim it. That's the truth. That's the, uh, that's the feet of the gospel. Isaiah 52, blessed are the feet that bring good news. Amen, amen. Next we move on, the shield of faith. The shield of faith is another defensive strategy, isn't it? It's a defensive piece to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, The Bible says, um, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Anything that comes your way. And the enemy will send things your way. And we use the shield of faith uh, to to, to battle those things away, um, which is awesome. Uh, next, the helmet of salvation. So another defensive piece, isn't it? It goes on our heads. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think of this as protecting our mind. Uh, protecting our mind. And so uh, the knowledge of our salvation, our assured eternity uh, with Christ, our, our assured eternity in the heavenly realm with God, 
This is our helmet of salvation. It protects the mind. It protects our thoughts. It protects where we are because we can know. And I know this is difficult when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, but we can know that regardless of what happens, regardless of where we are, regardless of what we go through on this planet, in this world, regardless of all of that, where we end up, where we go, where we spend our eternity is in heaven with God, with Jesus. Come on now. Helmet of salvation. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the only part of the armor of God. The sword is the only part of the armor of God that is an offensive strategy. Sword, that's an offensive piece, isn't it? I mean, you can use it for defense. Pew, pew. Can use it for defense. But the word is offensive. The message that's contained within the pages of the Bible is offensive. And I've, I've, I've preached this from this platform many times in the past. Because it's different to what the world says, frankly. The Bible says you have to die to flesh. You have to uh, die to your own personal desires and instead pick up your cross, follow him, and outwork the will of God. That's offensive in a world that says, you do you. But the word is an offensive piece and it's used to pierce through temptations. It's used to pierce through schemes and lies and anything that the enemy might try to tell you uh, to, uh, to, um, uh, to take down your self-worth or, or, or question your identity as a child of God uh, or whatever else it might be. The, the, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word, is used as an offensive strategy to pierce through to the truth. Amen. Where are we? We're over time. The kids' team are not going to like this. They don't like it when I go over. We're preaching truth this morning, aren't we? Yeah, I'll deal with the, uh, with the fallout layer. Third question and final question. This is where we are. How do we read the Bible? You know, the first thing I wrote down uh, when talking about how we read the Bible is, uh, it doesn't matter, just read it. And then I thought, well, that's not actually very helpful, is it? If we're honest, it's not very helpful. Uh, so, I've, uh, so I've put some thoughts together uh, for us. The first, uh, first element of reading the Bible is our personal Bible reading, isn't it? Well, we take the Bible and we read it by ourselves, uh, home, perhaps on our own. And, uh, and, and before we open the words, uh, the Bible, we should pray. We should ask God to speak to us uh, through the Bible. That's really important because the Bible itself says that the word, the scripture, is alive. Right? It speaks to us. It reveals truths to us. Uh, and uh, and we, uh, God speaks through his word each time we open it. Uh, but we ought to ask him uh, to do that first. Uh, so personal, uh, personal study and personal reading is absolutely great, uh, but it's not the way it was originally done. Did you know that? It's not the way it was originally done, and I personally don't believe that it's the best way either, or certainly primarily the best primary way. See, the Bible used to be read in communities. It used to be read uh, in groups. It used to be read together. It used to be studied. It used to be opened. Uh, people would, would pray, would question, would ask, would discuss the Bible. And for chunks of history, the Bible was even passed down uh, through what we call, uh, uh, I don't know how you say it, oral or oral, oral tradition. 
speaking, speaking. That's how it was. That's how it was done. Uh, that's how it was recorded. That's how it was passed on uh, through speaking, speaking uh, to a group of people, uh, speaking out the Bible. People would actually memorize it. They would know it off by heart and speak, and uh, and that's how it would be done. And that's why we open the Bible every Sunday here uh, at Assemble Church, because the Bible is absolutely key, it's absolutely pivotal uh, to our lives and, uh, and our understanding of who God is, uh, primarily. And, uh, and opening the Scripture, opening the Scripture together is so key. So I just want to, so th- those are two ways that we read the Bible. We read it individually and we read it together. But I want to give us four uh, tips. Right? This series is called Progressive Overload and, uh, and it's based on uh, going from one degree of glory to the next. Ever uh, increasing in our imitation of Jesus. Ever trying to become more and more like him. Ever, uh, ever trying, to, uh, trying to reach uh, what, what it means to be uh, an, an imitator, a disciple of Jesus. And you know, I know we won't get there fully until we get to heaven. But the Bible still tells us to try. That's the truth. And so the first part of that then, the first part of uh, how we read our Bible, what do we do about this? Is we need to set realistic goals, church. We need to be realistic about this. And here's how that works. It, it, start by reading. At least once a week. If you don't currently read your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back. You can pick one up, take that away. It's free. If we run out, we'll buy more. Let's start by reading at least once a week. Get the Word of God in you. You're already influenced by everything else that's going on in the world, the news, the social media, the, uh, you know, all the unhealthy stuff that, uh, that goes around the, the office. That's already influencing you, whether you know it or not, consciously or not, whether you like it or not, it is. And so you need to be influenced by the one who created all things. The second uh, part, though, the second thing that you can do after that, after you've started reading the Bible once a week, is this. Increase your reading. Simple, isn't it? Increase your reading. Slowly, perhaps twice a week, up to every day of the week. Get to a place where the Word of God is the primary influence in your life. I personally wouldn't start with a Bible in a year plan. Personally. I think it's too much for most people as they're starting out to try and read the full Bible in one year. You'll read it so fast you won't, you won't know what's going on. you understand it. Take your time. I know a guy that, uh, that does a study. He reads one verse a day. He doesn't just read it quick and then forget about it. He reads it. He meditates on it. He asks the Lord to speak to him through it. He takes his time with it. It's not a race. It's not a race to read the Bible. But what about when you're reading regularly? You're already reading every day. It's great. Getting so much of the Word of God in you, it's awesome. Well done. Did you know this, though? The Bible wasn't written in English. It's written in Hebrew, Greek, a little bit of Aramaic. And uh, sometimes we can lose some of the depth of what's going on in the Bible um, by our English translation. And uh, so there's no reason that you can't learn Greek. (laughs) That sounds daunting all of a sudden, doesn't it? Oh, you've gone from telling us to read the Bible once a day to learn Greek. I'm just saying. 
it's an option. Progressive overload. Set realistic goals. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Find a translation that is right for you. I uh, heard a quote once that says this. The best Bible translation is the one that you read. It's good. I like that. It's good. We don't, we don't really, uh, we don't really, uh, assemble church, um, uh, condone any, uh, not condone, condemn any uh, particular Bible um, translations. There are many Bible translations, and uh, you can pick one, you can choose one. At Assemble Church, we use NIV, right? The New International Version. That's our translation of choice here. That's what all the screens passages will be. I can give you the reasons that we prefer that one if you want. Not now, because it'll take a while. Come to me after, and uh, we'll have a chat. But choose, a, choose a, uh, a translation that's right for you. Just a warning on that. Oh, it's going on too long, isn't it? Just a warning on that. Um, try and steer clear from paraphrases. Paraphrases. There's a, a translation called the Message Bible. There's another one called the Passion Bible. And they're really great. They're really great to get, a, to get a, an essence of what's going on. And I'd, I'd, certainly, I'd certainly read them. But they're not the Word of God. They are paraphrases. And so you should always read that in conjunction with um, a, a, an authorized translation. But they're still good. The third thing is this. Make time to read the Word. This one's the hardest one. This one's the hardest one. This one is the one that takes discipline. Put a thing in your calendar, maybe a reminder. Use one of those habit tracker things, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Make time to get the word of God in your life. And here's the fourth thing. Here's the fourth thing. Find a group of friends to read your Bible with. Find a group of friends to read your Bible with. We don't have to formalize this and put it in life groups or anything like that. Just find some friends, people that you know, people that you like. Come up with a reading plan. Say you're going to read 1 Corinthians, one chapter a week for the next few weeks. Read it by yourself at home. And then go to the pub and talk with your friends about it. Or go to a coffee shop and talk with your friends about it. Find some friends to read the Bible with. People you can ask questions. People you can discuss with get some accountability the world needs a generation of bible believing christians knowing and studying the word of god hey let me tell you church this morning we are that generation we are that generation so that's where we'll leave it this morning that's where we'll leave it this morning i said that the title of this message was how can i live well and the answer to how can i live well is this is to know, is to understand your creator God. To know the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who knew you before you were born. To know his ways, to know his nature, to know his love for you. To know just what he did, the, the, the lengths that he went to and that he's still going to, to ensure that he gets to be in a relationship with you into eternity safe in the knowledge that regardless of what happens here and you know there are principles to live by there are absolutely principles to live by I'm not denying that but we can be safe in the knowledge that regardless of what happens here our eternity is secured we're going to heaven folks that's the reality we're spending an eternity with Jesus that's how we live well Amen
That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.